You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. Well, uh, it was about eight years ago that I was interviewing here at Discovery uh, for the position that I have now. So spoiler for that, how that story ends. Um, but I was interviewing, and there was a team of people, some were from the church, and uh, they were asking me different questions, and they asked me a question that stumped me. There was one question in particular that just I, I like just struggled to answer. It wasn't a question about theology. It wasn't like, hey, how does the Trinity work? Uh, it wasn't a question about teenagers. It wasn't like, all right, how does adolescent brain development play into ministering to youth? It was not a question like that. The question that stumped me in my interview process was, what are your hobbies? A softball question, right? They're just like, hey, what do you like to do? What are your hobbies? And I stopped because I had to really think about that one because at the time, our daughter had just turned two. We only had our oldest daughter at that point. She was two years old. And so all of my waking minutes, my free time, was all spent with just keeping a child alive. And then if it wasn't keeping her alive, I was napping, right? And I didn't think either of these were good like hobbies to answer that question with. So I remember sitting and thinking and then saying, um... I like to play kitchen. And there were just these like strange looks back at me like, you like to play kitchen? Then I'd explain like, oh, I like play with my kids, like and all that stuff. But I, I've thought about that idea often and just how like in the last 10 years, because now our daughter Cora is 10, in the last 10 years, I've picked up a lot of new hobbies that I never dreamed of. And the hobbies I once had, the old hobbies of like camping and hiking and things like that, like they are far gone now. And my hobbies are things like playing kitchen and pretending circus and playing blocks, which is probably one of my favorite hobbies is playing blocks. At our house, it's not playing with blocks. It's just playing blocks, which can mean a lot of things. And I've learned some things over my 10 years of being a dad that I'd like to share with you, just some tips. If there's anybody in here that are dads or maybe one day will be dads or just, you know, parents in general, or just if you're playing with a child one day, here's what I've learned when you're playing blocks. You have to be careful of your goals. You really have to assess your goals when you're playing blocks. And if your goals get out of whack or like kind of confused, it's going to get just not great. And so here's what I've learned. When playing blocks, your goal needs to be I am spending time with my children. That's the goal of playing blocks. Quality time with your kids. Not how cool of a structure you can build. Not how tall of a tower you can build because those goals will be wiped away. And I see some of you parents smiling and you know what I'm talking about because there may be some other dads in here that like me, you're playing blocks and you're like, well, let's see how cool of a castle we can build. And you get really into this castle, but then your kid is like, no, no, no. Let's see this castle topple over. And you're like, I was building that. And they just are laughing because they destroyed something. And then you're like, well, let's try and like build the tallest tower we can. And you're trying to like impress your kid and like, and so you're building it and you get halfway over like, we got all these blocks, we can get even higher. And the kid's like, oh no, 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 no. And they just kick over the tower, right? And it falls apart. So if at that point your goal is to build the tallest tower and impress your child, you're just angry and frustrated. And you have to remember yourself, it's not about what I'm building. It's about the time I'm spending with my child, right? And that will help you in your goal with blocks. You might try and show them like, well, here's how you can build something good and like foundation. They just want to knock it over. Over. And so I know at one point, like, even got into this game with myself where I'm like, let me see what I can build and how fast I can build it before it gets knocked over. Because every time I'm playing blocks, it gets knocked over. All three kids, same thing, the blocks get knocked over. 
And I think the reason is because my kids know that it's just, it's fun, right? Like knocking something over and watching it crash, like that is fun. But I think there's a deeper principle at play too that they realize that we can't build something new if there's something old in its place. In order for us to build something new, we have to knock down the thing that is old. And so the old has to come down so the new can replace it, which is a lot of the New Testament. As we're in Ephesians right now, it's a lot of Ephesians, this idea that the old has to go away. The old religion has to be torn down because there's a new thing in its place. And it's more than a religion. It's now a relationship with God. So as we read particularly the letters from the apostles in the New Testament, many of them are dealing with this concept of how do we move from this old thing? That old thing is out of season. We've got to move to a new thing. We're building a new thing together. How do we do it? And that's a lot of what Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus in the text that Bethany read for us earlier. And so you've heard it all. We're going to kind of parse through that this morning, just take it bit by bit. You've heard the whole chunk together. Now we're going to take little highlights out of it. And so remember, Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus, and they were not Jewish. This wasn't a Jewish town. And so this was a Gentile town, which is like the fancy word for not Jewish. And so as he's writing them in verse 11, here's what he says. He says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were one time separated from Christ. And we kind of have to pause just right there because he, off the bat, he's getting into something weird, circumcision, right? Which if you want to know more about that, uh, Matt's going to be available after the service, just out where he's usually standing. Talk to Matt about what this is. But basically, this was a way that Jews would talk about non-Jewish people because God had given them the symbol of circumcision. And so Jewish people would be circumcised and others weren't. And so it was their way of talking about people that weren't Jewish. And it was sort of like on their side saying like, you're unclean and we're clean. We're circumcised, you're uncircumcised. We're holy, you're not holy. It was sort of a Jewish cut down. And I think there's a play on words to be made there, but I am not going to make it. Um, you can, you know, do with that what you will. But when Paul's writing to me, say, remember, you were called the uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcised. And then Paul even kind of expands and say, but remember, this circumcision was to the flesh and made by hands. And he's like, so that's, you know, superficial at best. So he's talking about this idea. He sets up this idea, though, that they were removed. They were not part of God's family. And then he continues, he says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Not just separated from the Jewish people, the Jewish family, but separated from Jesus, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He's setting up this idea that they're outsiders. He uses terms like strangers, aliens. You are strangers, you're aliens, you are removed. And so he sets up this idea that they would have been familiar with that there's an us and a them, and you were the them. And for us hearing this this morning, we might want to put ourselves in the, the us category, right? And be like, well, I'm at church, I'm of the religious people, right? Like, I am part of the us. No, 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 we are the them. Because I would, I would reckon most of us in this room probably aren't of Jewish descent. And so we don't hold the Jewish heritage, right? So we're not the us of the Jewish people. But then beyond that, he's talking not just about being strangers and aliens to the Jewish faith, but he's talking about being strangers and aliens to God, to Christ. We are removed. 
And so if there's an us and a them, we are the them because we are removed not only from the Jewish faith, but also from Jesus because of our sin. And Paul says there, if you don't have Jesus, you don't have hope. No Jesus, no hope. Why? Because when we're separated from God, when we're far from God, strangers and aliens to him, that means death which the Bible talks at length about, the concept of hell, which is not just death when our heart stops beating, but it is a place where we are removed from the presence of God in a way that we don't fathom now. Because even because the sun shone today and we have oxygen to breathe today, we have God's presence with us. But after death, if we don't have Jesus and his forgiveness for our sins, hell is a separation from God's presence. And Jesus himself used terms like fire and torture and darkness to describe hell. It's a place that we don't want to have anything to do with. And so Paul is saying, listen, no Jesus means no hope. Because without Jesus, there is no life. And he breaks this down further in another letter that he writes. In the book of Romans, Paul says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, he's talking about Adam. As Adam and Eve disobeyed God first in the Garden of Eden by eating the fruit, he told them not to eat. He said, sin came into the world that way through the one man and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all sinned. So there is one heritage that we get to share in, and that's the heritage of humanity, which is sin. All humans always have sinned. And so all men all women, Jew and Gentile, you and me, we are all separated from God in sin, which means death. Which if you didn't get to hear Matt's sermon last week, it was great. Find it on YouTube. He talks of how, uh, how Paul earlier in this chapter, in the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2, establishes that we are dead. Jacob Marley style, right? Remember that from last week? Like in the Christmas carol, we got to establish that we are dead to move forward. And then Paul says this, but now... But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and commandments expressed in ordinances. And he keeps going, but right here he's talking about the fact that we can have peace. Even though right now we're removed from God, we're in hopelessness, we're in death, but through Jesus, we can have peace. We talked about this peace Wednesday night with the youth group. And we looked at how at the beginning of time, the first pages of our scriptures, we see that the world was void. It says that God was there, but the, the world was like formless and void, but his spirit hovered over the deep. And so we have this idea of just the chaos at the beginning of creation, but then God comes in and he speaks over the formless. He speaks over the void, the, the wild and waste. He speaks over that and brings order into it. And he orders out the darkness and the light, and he makes night and day and seasons and, and grass to grow, and he forms out an ordered world. He brings peace into chaos by speaking, by saying, let there be light. Later on, we see that same concept of peace played out in the person of Jesus as he's asleep in a boat and his disciples are terrified because a storm has come upon the boat. And so they wake up Jesus and they're like, don't you care that we're about to die? And Jesus gets up and he rebukes the storm and he says, peace, be still. And the waves stopped and the wind quit blowing and the clouds parted and there was peace. 
So Paul is telling us we have access to the same peace that was spoken at the beginning of creation. The same peace that was spoken by Jesus over the storm. We have access to that peace because we have access to Jesus and he himself is our peace. Jesus, the son of God, was the embodiment of peace. We'll talk about it at Christmas time. We'll call him the Prince of Peace. So then the question I think we have to ask is, well, how can I have that peace? Because who today does not want peace? And I think we have to remember that when we're talking about peace, we're not just talking about like the absence of conflict, right? And we're not talking about like the hippie concept of like peace and love, man. Like we're beyond this idea. Peace in the Jewish mind and the Hebrew word of shalom was so much more than just the absence of conflict. It was so much more than just loving each other. It was this idea of wholeness, this idea of completeness, this idea of everything just fitting together, things going right for you. That was peace. That was shalom. It was a completeness. And we have access to that in the person of Jesus. In our world today, we so desperately are seeking peace. And you'll see people seek for it in other ways. Like, well, maybe if I could just buy this thing, I could be a little bit more calm. Maybe if I could just, you know, do this, this practice or this exercise that would help me find calm. Maybe if I just ate this or drank this or did whatever, I could have peace in my life. We're all craving this peace. And Paul tells us where we can find it. In Jesus. He himself is our peace. And so that peace makes us right with God. There's conflict between us and God, right? Because of our sin, we've been separated from him, but then Jesus comes in and he dies a death to our sins, for our sins, so that there can no longer be conflict between us and God. And so then Paul continues and he says, he himself is our peace. And then he goes on to say, who made us both, meaning Jew and Gentile, made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in the ordinances so that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So he's saying the cross makes us right with God, but it also makes us right with other people. Because this whole time, Paul has been talking about separation, the separation of God and man, but also the separation of Jew and Gentile, the separation of fellow man. And so Paul is saying, you can be made right with God. We see that demonstrated on the cross when in the book of Mark, it says that the temple curtain was torn at Jesus's death. The temple curtain was this big piece of fabric that hung in the temple, one of the, the sort of boundaries in the temple so that people couldn't get to the holiest place where they thought God's presence dwelled. It was the barrier that separated God from man. But when Jesus died, that barrier was torn in two from top to bottom, saying no more does there have to be a barrier between God and man. It has been broken down in Jesus's flesh, which is what Paul said in verse 14. So there's no longer that separation. And so if we go back to Romans, remember in Romans, Paul talks about like we all inherited sin because of one man's disobedience. Well, further on in Romans 5.18, he says, therefore, as one trespass, as one sin led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Because of Adam's disobedience, we all inherited sin and death. But because of Jesus's obedience, we all have access to forgiveness and life. 
So Paul is telling us there is no separation between us and God because of what Jesus did. We can be made right with God. But then he takes it a step further and says, beyond that, you can be made right with other people, which a Jewish person would hear this and just be like, wait, 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 what now? You mean us be made right? Us become one with those unclean, uncircumcised Gentiles? I don't think so, Paul. This is radical to the Jewish ear. But he says that Jesus broke down the wall of hostility. And so there's another barrier in the temple. There was the, the temple wall, the kind of gate that separated the Gentiles out from the Jewish people. So as you entered the first wall, like everybody could go there, and they had what was called the court of the Gentiles and that outer layer. But then there was another gate that could be passed through only by Jewish people, and that was the court of the Israelites. And there's an inscription on that wall that would say to Gentiles something to the effect of, if you go through this door, you're the only one to blame for your death. Saying, Gentiles, you are not welcome here. You can't get this close to God because you're Gentiles, not Jews. But then Paul says that wall, that wall of hostility was broken down in Jesus' flesh. When Jesus died, he not only brings God and man together, he brings man and man together, Jew and Gentile, religious and not religious. He is bringing them together. And so something, though, must be torn down, right? Just like my kids know with blocks, you can't build something new unless something else is torn down in its place. And so this is what Paul is talking about, that those barriers must be torn down so that a new thing could be made. And what's the new thing? A new man. He talks about one person being made in place of the two, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. Now we can have peace between us and God and peace between our fellow man, no matter how different we are from him, because we both have access to the same forgiveness. We both have the same amount of debt towards our God. We both have the same need for redemption. So then I think we're left with an uncomfortable question that I have to ask right now, which I like to do a little bit. I don't like to answer them, so I like to, when I can be on stage and ask you guys uncomfortable questions. But no, I've struggled with this question as well this week, looking at this text. I think we have to ask reading this, who is your them? Who is the person that you need to be reconciled with? Who is the person or group of people in your mind that if there's an us and a them, that they are the them? Who is it that you have built a wall of hostility between yourself and them. Because God's goal, Jesus' goal, is to tear down that wall. And so the whole world, like if you look at it, our world constantly is trying to just be a voice of separation and division, right? Trying to say like, well, you can only think this way or that way, and there's no space in between. And so we've seen the political divide get very wide. We've seen, I think, in an unprecedented way, new generation gaps forming every week because every week they come up with a new generation, right? Like we had the Gen X and then the millennials and then the Gen Z. And then next, I think, is like, next time won't you sing with me generation? Now I know my ABCs generation. Like we're to the end of the alphabet, but we have all of these generations, and then we're constantly told reasons why we should not be happy for that other generation, or that another generation might be getting ahead of us, and we need to be concerned about that, right? Like, for me, growing up, it was always like, mm, those boomers, they're taking all your jobs, and they're going to eat up all your social security, right? And I'm like, oh man, boomers, like, that's what I was told about some of you. And then, my generation, like, we got this sweet tax credit last year if we had kids, but then you see some of the boomers being like, mm, I didn't get that tax credit, right? And now, we just 
had like the college tax credit come out for a lot of the Gen Z folks and us millennials are like, well, I paid off my student loans. I don't like what's happening over there. And there's this generational divide that's being fed into by a lot of the talking heads saying, yeah, don't be happy for those people. You should be concerned for all this. And we're just told that we are different, that we can't get along. The voice of our world is constantly saying, you're different from them. There's a gap between you. But then the voice of Jesus is always screaming, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall, right? Our society likes to build higher walls separating us, but God wants to tear them down. So that as Paul says in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. Let that sink in. He's saying these are religious divides. These are national divides. He's saying there's no longer the divide of Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus' death killed or should have killed the hostility between humans so that we recognize, man, like I can't feel like I'm better than them or that they owe me anything because I see how much I owe Jesus. I can't think that they have more sin than me because I see how much sin that I had that Jesus turned away from and forgave and made me debt-free. So how can I hold that against anybody else? He tears it down so that we can all have access to the Father and in that all become one new creation. So then he says, for through him, we both have access. We both, the, the aliens, the citizens, the, the Jewish, the non-Jewish, the us, the them, both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Fellow citizens conveys this idea of like, now we have a new country. It's no longer about like Israel or Rome. It's a new thing. It's no longer about America or, or Canada or Ukraine or whoever. We have a new thing. It is the kingdom of God. That is what Jesus has come in to build. And we get to be citizens of that kingdom. But more than that, we get to be family. Because he doesn't just describe us as, as citizens, but he says part of the household of God. We are now God's family, his children built on the foundation of the apostles, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now we have a new temple. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. 11 verses that you heard read earlier that I've read through bit by bit through here, and it's a lot. When I read all of this and I take a step back, I'll tell you what I hear. Here's what I hear Paul talking about. It should be obvious to you by now. It's Legos. Paul is talking about Legos, right? You know what I'm talking about? I started out talking about building, building blocks. Now that my oldest is 10 years old, we're into Legos, which is a whole new world. And Legos is a lot harder to tear down, right? Like we have to keep the younger siblings away sometimes. But this is what I think Paul is talking about. He's talking about Legos because in Legos, I have my thing, right? Like I'm over here, I've built my kingdom, right? That's me. I'm the blue side. But then we have other people. Other people over here are on the red side, and they have their thing, right? So like, I've built this. Like, and I wish this were fancier for you to see. But then in between, there is, ready for it, the wall of hostility. 
and this side can't go between there. We don't like the red team over here. So we've worked to build this, and then you're over here. But then Jesus comes in, and he looks at this, and he's like, you're impressed with what you've built there? Like, you like that blue team and red team? Like, you think that's impressive? And there's this wall between you? Jesus tears this down, right? Because we know nothing new can be built while the old stands. And so Jesus comes in, he tears it down. Then not only does he tear down our kingdoms, he tears down the wall in between. And then from all of these Lego blocks, he begins building a brand new thing which I wish I could like, like have like a giant, you know, structure. In fact, I, all I have is this, like Jesus, out of all the pieces, he makes one giant Lego block, right? All of us. Now, no Jew, no Greek, male, no female. There's just one man made in Jesus, this massive Lego brick. That's all of us together. And so this is what I think Paul is getting at, that we've got to tear down our old ways and begin looking for Jesus's new way. And I see that in Legos because here's the deal. One Lego piece one Lego piece doesn't do a lot, right? Like even my little structure here, that's probably what, like 50 pieces? I don't know. But one Lego piece on its own, it is pretty much more trouble than it is worth, right? Like it's more harm than it is good. Have you ever stepped on just one Lego piece? Just one. You don't need a lot of them. Just one will make you lose your mind. Just one Lego piece by itself that can wreck an expensive vacuum. Just, just suck it up in there, your vacuum's done, right? Like clogged up. One Lego piece is more harm than it is good. And also, when you have a Lego piece off by itself, you know what that means? It means there is a set somewhere else that is missing a piece and will never be completed because this Lego piece decided to isolate and go off from the group. And the rest of the group is now like, we needed that guy. Like, we can't be complete now. We are the Legos in this scenario, right? And we're trying to build our own things, but then Jesus comes in and says, no, 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 no. You're trying to build the wrong thing. And we can't have these like teams and separations and walls of hostility. We got to tear it all down and build a new thing together. And with Legos, I don't have a great demonstration for you on stage, but with Legos, you can build massive things. So massive that I had to bring a picture of something you can build. This is an actual Lego house built by a British TV personality, James May. And he used over three million bricks and built a two-story Lego house. They ran actual water into this house. There was an actual Lego bed. I can't imagine that was too comfortable. But you could live in this house all made up of tiny Lego bricks. So what Paul is telling us is that Jesus comes in and he wants to build a new thing, but he's not just building a house to be lived in. He's not just building like a pretty structure to look at. He's building something with a purpose. He's building a new temple. And the purpose of the temple before Jesus came was to be a place where man could interact with God. It was a place where God's presence was believed to dwell. It was a place where man could go and do sacrifices and be in communion with our creator. But then Jesus came in and he tore all of that down so that now in us, not made of brick and mortar, but made of us, we have a new structure, a new temple. And the purpose of that same temple is so that we can be God's dwelling place on earth. And so we, when you give your life and your sins over to Jesus, you get his spirit in you. But then together as a church, and not just our Discovery Church, but the church around the globe, together we are the house for God's spirit. We are the place where people can come and meet with God. We are the place where people can see God's love played out in our creation. That is what Jesus wants to build in our lives. But that's tough to do 
with just one Lego. And beyond this, Paul sets up some parameters. He's saying, hey, as you're building, remember that Jesus is the cornerstone. The cornerstone, especially in that era, they would use, like, they didn't have laser sights and all of that stuff. I don't even know if they had those, like, bubble levels. So you'd get a really level cornerstone, and then every other brick that you would lay, you needed to make sure it was in line with this cornerstone so that you'd know that you would have a straight line across. And then as the next level was built, you'd know that it was level on top because the cornerstone was level. So Paul is saying, as you're building what you're building in your life, keep looking back and making sure that you're in line with Jesus. Keep making sure that you're level with what Jesus said. How do we do that? We look at his teachings and we apply them to our life and say, all right, this is my cornerstone. And so I want to be in line with that so that I can build the right structure that God has for me. As you meet other people, and you might be deciding, like, oh, is this a person I should date or unite my life with? One good way to see is, like, are they in line with the cornerstone? Because if their life is not in line with Jesus's cornerstone, and you're trying to get your life in line with his cornerstone, then your life and their life is not going to line up well. Am I saying to never talk to somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus? Clearly, no, that's been the whole sermon. But what I'm saying is, when we unite with one another, we need to make sure that we are doing it in line with Jesus that we're building off of him. And then the foundation of the apostles and all the prophets, that's what Paul is talking about. We need to look at this word and make sure we're building in the right direction. This is the map, the instructions that go in our Lego kit. And so this is what I think Paul is saying to us from Ephesians chapter two, that we are Legos. And Jesus wants to build down the creations or build down, tear down the creations we've tried to make on our own and build something new with different kinds of Legos, with Legos that look different than us, with Legos that serve different purposes from us, also that we can come together and be one being housing the Spirit of God, creating a new temple, a temple of flesh and blood to show Jesus's presence in our world. So this morning for communion, we're going to end our, our teaching time with communion, as we often do. But we're going to do just one little different thing. I'm going to go ahead and invite the ushers to come around. In the baskets, you're going to find the typical communion cup that we always have that represents Jesus' body and blood. His body broken for us on the cross, his blood poured out. But also in the communion basket, you're going to find a Lego piece. And I'm going to invite you to pick a Lego piece and pick out your communion elements and hang on to those for just a minute as, as these are passed around. And what I want you to see is that in one hand, you have the representation of Jesus's life. Jesus's life, which was extinguished on the cross for you so that you could have life. That's what communion reminds us of. So in one hand, you've got that representation, but in another, you have the representation of what is being built or what could be built through you. You've got one Lego piece, which on its own doesn't do a whole lot. But around the whole room, we have a ton of Lego pieces. And if we were to put them all together and then combine not just ours, but also first service, we would have a huge Lego structure. So what I hope is that you are reminded that not only do you have a sacrifice for you, but you have a purpose. You are being built into something and you are to be built into a structure that houses God and his spirit in our world. But that's hard to do on your own. So here's some ways that that can be done. Of course, we have to level off to that cornerstone, but also we need other people to do this with, don't we? We have to tear down the walls of hostility between us and other people and then find people, even if they are different from us, even if they don't think the same as us, even if they are older or younger than us, find other people 
also following Jesus, also uniting their lives to him as their cornerstone and combine with them so that we can build something, so that together we can build a temple that houses God's spirit in our world so that others can come to us and know him and know the way to true life and to true peace. So here's what I hope you do with this. Of course, when we start singing, you're welcome to take communion. But with this Lego piece, I'm going to invite you to just like stick this in your pocket or put it somewhere this week and allow it to be a little bit of an inconvenience, right? Like put it in the cup holder so that your cup doesn't get all the way down in there and it's rattling around. And then you're like, why is that? Oh yeah, because one Lego brick on its own doesn't do a lot. Keep it in your pocket so it falls out or stabs you a little bit so you can remember like, oh yeah, I on my own don't do a lot, but there are others like me that Jesus wants to build me with so there can be something incredible for God. And so this morning, that's our challenge. A little bit of inconvenience and a whole lot of forgiveness. So let me pray for us and then I invite you to take communion together. Jesus, we thank you that you came to die for us so that the walls of hostility could be torn down, so that the barrier between us and our creator could fall, so that whatever separates us from our fellow man, that that could be gone too, so that there is no us and them. There is no Jew or Greek. There is no slave or free. There is only you and your children. And God, we see this morning that you've called us into a larger purpose, a a purpose larger than ourselves, that we would unite together with one another so that your name could be known in our world. It is a task that is far too big for one individual to carry alone. But God, you've provided other people to carry it with us. And so I pray, God, starting in this room, starting with our church, but not ending there, continuing with all Christians, the big C church in our world, I pray, God, that we could be united with one another and begin combining with fellow believers based off of your guide, your cornerstone, so that we can be your dwelling place in our world. God, I pray that this morning, if this is our only time with other believers, I pray that you would let us correct that that you'd help us find a a small group we could get plugged into so we can start hooking our Legos together with other Legos. God, help us to find other people at our places of business or in our families or our schools that are following you so that we can begin building something together. Because God, you don't want anyone to be separated from you and your plan against that is us and the temple we build together. And so as we take communion with one another, we thank you for your death on the cross for us. And as we leave this week, we pray that you would use us to build something spectacular. It's in Jesus' name I pray.